Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. You're invited to join us for our Christmas Eve services at 2, 3.30, or 5. If you can't be with us in person, join us for our online campus at 3.30 on Christmas Eve. New Year's Day, we'll have one family service at 11 o'clock. That'll include children, students, and adults. Today, Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the Christmas series called Christmas Messengers. This episode will focus on dreams as Christmas messengers sent to protect Jesus from danger. This message is titled, Specific Protection Through Dreams. Emmanuel, God is with us. You can sense it so clearly during this season, can't you? We continue our message series, Christmas Messengers. Today's message is entitled, Specific Protection Through Dreams. Take out your program. Top of the outline is the theme verse for today, taken from this passage. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Messages were delivered through dreams five times during the narrative of Jesus' birth. God sent Christmas messages to warn Joseph, who became Jesus' stepfather, but also the wise men to protect his son from enemies intent on ending his life. It wasn't a new thing. God had spoken through dreams many, many times throughout the scripture, many times in the Old Testament to both Jews and Gentiles. But in each instance, he he stressed that the proper interpretation had to be given from him. And there would never be a dream that led anyone to disobey God's law or to worship idols. We want to see how these dreams became Christmas messengers sent specifically to protect Jesus that very first Christmas. Messages from dreams, and we'll be dealing with in this Bible, available here, pages 771 and 2, will be in Matthew chapters 1 and 2. These dreams first protected Jesus. That's just a summary, really, of all the way these dreams function. But we're in chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged. Is that the right term? Betrothed. Betrothed. Very different arrangement. To be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Mary was likely not more than 16, perhaps a little less, Joseph was at least 18 to 20 and perhaps more. In first century Palestine, marriages typically were arranged by parents. They began with a year-long betrothal period and even longer if the couple had been betrothed at a very young age. So there may have been a longer wait until they received an age that was appropriate for marriage. It was a formal contract, as binding as marriage itself. In fact, upon being betrothed, the couple was considered husband and wife. You can see that in some of the translations where it mentions the husband, Joseph. During betrothal, the couple did not live together, had little personal contact, 
and no sexual intimacy. In fact, they may not have known each other at all until the wedding ceremony. Now, some of us would say, well, I wouldn't want to be married that way, but I don't know. Their percentages hold up better than ours do, don't they? Sometimes our judgment is affected by some unwise reasoning. Imagine Joseph's shock when he hears that Mary returns from a three-month visit with a relative named Elizabeth, and she's pregnant. Do you think he knew that quickly? They were living in a small village, Nazareth. Do you think someone would tell him? People haven't changed. Have you noticed how much more quickly people spread bad news than they do good news? How would Joseph have responded? What if you were in Joseph's place? He would have been disappointed, perhaps angry, even enraged. He believed that his betrothed wife, the woman he would soon marry, had betrayed him through adultery. Do you think Mary could have convinced him she was innocent? No. Reason this as though it were happening here today. She couldn't have convinced him that she wasn't adulterous because, because she was conceived by the Spirit. How would he believe that? So God sent a Christmas messenger, an angel in a dream, to intervene on her behalf. Verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, Again, her betrothed, or in, in some translations, it says what? Her husband, her husband, was a good man. Greek, dikos, which means literally righteous, just, holy. Good man is a little too nonspecific. You know, in our culture, boy, you really have to do something terrible to lose that. Everybody's a good man, short of serving life in prison, and even then sometimes. So he was a good man, but Joseph, no, was a righteous man. He was a holy man. And so he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement. In Greek, it doesn't say break the engagement. What does your translation say? Divorce her quietly because divorce was required to end a betrothal. Now, because Joseph was a righteous Jewish man, that means he observed the law. He tried to follow the scriptural direction for his life. Because of that, he would not marry a woman who was guilty of adultery. In part, he wouldn't marry that woman because it would appear that he was admitting that he was part of that adultery and it, that they had had intimacy before marriage. In an earlier era, married would have been stoned. Deuteronomy 22 beginning at verse 20, speaks of a young woman who was promiscuous in her own father's house and taken to the front of the house and stoned immediately. But religious leaders of the time of Jesus' birth were more lenient in applying the law of Moses. And so Joseph had two options. He could charge her publicly with adultery. She would be tried in court, convicted in front of the community, and she'd be subjected to public shame. 
or he could write a bill of divorce privately in front of either two or three witnesses and that would end the relationship without publicly humiliating her. Now because of Joseph's character, that's what he decided to do. Whatever disappointment, whatever anger he he felt, he set aside and he did the right thing which was to forgive and not to humiliate her publicly. She would suffer enough. What do you do? Are you like Joseph? If someone betrays, dishonors, gossips about you, humiliates you, how do you respond? Do you attempt to get even, to hurt that person, to somehow humiliate them in return? Or do you forgive and try to preserve their dignity? Verse 20, Matthew 1, we continue. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The Greek name Jesus is the same as the Hebrew name Joshua. And they both mean the Lord or literally Yahweh saves. So you can hear the same consonant sound in those words. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us from Isaiah 7, 14. Now what God said to Joseph through this dream, he responded to. It controlled his reaction. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now Joseph married Mary. He named her son. That was his right as the father. But in doing so, he was actually legally claiming Jesus as his own. Thereby agreeing to provide a home, support, provision, and protection to God's son and his mother Mary. Joseph believed what the angel said. This dream convinced him that the conception was a spiritual conception. But would anyone else believe it? No one else would believe it, not even his best friend. So people that he knew that they knew probably believed they were immoral. When did they change that opinion? When? Give me an answer. I don't think they ever did, some of them. Some of them never did until they began a relationship with Christ personally, individually as well. Could Joseph clear his name? Could he, could he tell people, oh, no, no, this was, see, I had a dream and, and she was conceived by the Spirit. No. They would have thought that, oh, what a naive, foolish man you are. 
she is carrying another man's child and she has fooled you to believe that the Holy Spirit's the father of this child. And they believed that about him all his days. They talked about him behind his back, largely, even if they befriended him to his face. And Joseph knew that. Do you think he thought that everyone would be convinced and they'd receive him and they would believe everything? No. But Joseph didn't allow fear of what other people would say. He didn't allow concern over the consequences stop him from obeying God's message. Well, why is it stopping some of you? You know what God said to you, what you're supposed to do, whether it be forgiveness or of another person, whether it be admitting some wrong you've committed. Perhaps there's a sin you must walk away from, an addiction you must stop. You know it. So what's holding you back? If God has given you a message and it's been delivered, why don't you obey with no other consideration? Why did God use a dream to reach Joseph? Why do you think? Why did he use a dream with an angel speaking? Because what? He was about to divorce her. So yeah, the spirit stopped that, that action. Somebody over here said something. <laughs> that, that, that's a good point. When he was asleep, God had his undivided attention. <laughs> Does that apply to you? <laughs> but here's another insight. Joseph needed, for the reasons given, to receive this instruction from God. It was imperative that he not abandon Mary and, the, and Jesus. And he wouldn't have done this from an opinion offered by a family member or a friend. They would have said, divorce her. You know she's lying to you. Joseph may have been illiterate. Certainly, he didn't own a Bible. People didn't own personal Bibles in those days. There would have been one in the temple. Synagogues would have them. Rabbis could read them. So, but even upon consulting with a rabbi, would there be anything the scripture, in the Scripture specific enough to apply to this situation? No. What other reason is there that he had to receive this instruction from a dream? There's another key issue. Who said that? Let me say that hand. Yes. Because Joseph doesn't yet possess the Holy Spirit. The Spirit didn't remain in people with the exception of John the Baptist who received the Spirit while in his mother's womb. But the Spirit came and remained in people from what point forward? Pentecost. After Jesus' ascension, Acts chapter 2. So Joseph had to receive the message in a believable form because he didn't have the Spirit to give him the message from within. 
to lead him from within. So he received a message from a Christmas delivery man, an angel appearing in a dream. A message delivered through a dream also prevented threatening information. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Drop to verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he said to them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this, the wise men went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Now think about the route that these Gentile men traveled, these magi. They saw the star. The star signaled to them in their understanding that a newborn king would be born in Israel, a king of the Jews. So they went to the religious political center of Israel, which was Jerusalem. They, they were pointed toward Bethlehem by King Herod, who gathered the information from religious experts. So they headed toward Bethlehem. The star appeared again. And this star led them to Bethlehem to a particular house and stopped precisely overhead. That's puzzling to me. It doesn't sound like a star that could be in the heavens. So I did a little more study this week, see what some other ideas were. And it's interesting, in a volume that's a, bib, a volume of the Bible with notes from Messianic Jews, they suggest that this star was actually the Shekinah of glory. What does that represent? Do you know? It represents God's presence. And the Shekinah of glory touched down at what spot on earth? In the Holy of Holies. Touched down on the mercy seat. But it is the symbol of the presence of God. And you could see why the Shekinah of glory that was brilliant light and it shone to the shepherds around the angels would be interpreted as being a star because they didn't have another term for it. Now, these men recognized Jesus as the newborn king of the Jews. But I think, it doesn't say this clearly, but I think in coming, it also implies that God revealed his true identity to them. Their gifts seem to 
demonstrate this understanding, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I touched that last week. And I think they recognized him as not only the Messiah, this Savior, but their Savior as well. Now, Herod had instructed them, go and find this child. Come back and tell me where he is because I want to go and worship him. And he, of course, was lying. He just was a little bit too lazy to send his own men to do the work. He wanted to find out where this child was so he could dispatch a small band of soldiers to end his life. This was a, a murderous, murderous man who had already demonstrated his, his cruelty because he had killed three members of his own, I mean, five members of his own family who he felt like wanted to take over his throne. He murdered his wife, his brother-in-law, and three of his own sons who he thought were longing to have his position. Now, if the Magi had provided Herod with this information, Herod would have ended Jesus' life. Look at verse 12, what their response was. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God protected his son by sending a specific message that these men would understand and obey to avoid this cruel king. Would it have been threatening to ignore the king? Yeah, because he controlled the entire country. He had soldiers everywhere. Did they put their lives at risk by ignoring? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there's no mention of an angel here. Do you know why? It says a dream, but it doesn't say an angel. Because there probably wasn't an angel. <laughs> That's a good response. <laughs> but I don't know the spiritual reason. I don't know if there is one. Other than these men were pagans. They may have had no theology of angels or they may have worshiped angels and it, it would have just confused them uh, since they were now being reached by one God who was sending his son to be the savior. So there was no, there were no angels apparently in this dream. They were unnecessary. They would have been unhelpful. They would have been confusing to these men who were not Jewish. So what's the application for us? Well, has God ever warned you about providing information that was caused trouble? Have you ever known a secret that you were dying to tell, itching to tell, and people would love to hear it, and yet God's word or his spirit said, don't say a word, don't say a word. And did you obey? Or was it just too enjoyable to spill? Messages from dreams also provided continual safety. Verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, 
flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, why Egypt? Well, it wasn't that um, the Romans didn't control Egypt, they did. If you look at a map of the Roman Empire, it, it encircled the Mediterranean Sea. And it included Egypt, but there was a different ruler. And he was not as vicious as Herod was. And he would have been unaware of this newborn king being born. Plus, there were a large number of Jews living in Egypt. They'd probably been many captured and taken hundreds of years before. Others had been born there and grown up. But there were probably as many as a million Jews living in Egypt at this time. So there would be some safety, some comfort there in Egypt. And then the angel continued, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt. He didn't wait around, did he? Why did he wait till night? Safer. It was dark. Y'all know some of my questions are just real obvious, don't you? <laughs> all of you think I'm tricking you always, but no, it was safer at night. It was more dangerous to walk, to ride an animal at night, but it was safer where they, to leave when they couldn't be seen. The border of Egypt, though, was 75 miles away. So they had several days journey. Difficult to move more than about 20 miles a day on foot. And so he left with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. That's a prophecy found in Hosea 11.1. 1. And what you see in some of these prophecies of Jesus, they're actually spoken first about the nation of Israel. And so in Hosea, it speaks first of the nation of Israel being brought out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, across the wilderness into the promised land. But then it's fulfilled by this writer Matthew with his insight that this prophecy meant the nation of Israel. It also meant the savior of Israel. So God sent this warning message directly through an angel in a dream to present specific instructions that had to be acted on immediately. What if Joseph said, well, I need a few days. I've got a few projects I'm working on and I need to complete them and it'll just take a few days. Remember, this is only six miles away. Herod's soldiers would have been there the next morning. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod didn't know where to find Jesus. And he was furious that these wise men didn't come and tell him specifically where he could be found. So he sent soldiers to cut off any chance of Jesus escaping from Bethlehem, and he killed every child anywhere near the age of Jesus. Now, it probably wasn't a huge number. This was a small village population, 
somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500. It may have been only 12 to 15 boys, perhaps 20 at most. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge number, but each one sure mattered to their families and their relatives, didn't they? And it, and it frightened that little village. But it was done to prevent Jesus' escape. Scholars said Jesus at this age probably was between six and 20 months. So Herod added a few months and then said, wipe out every boy that fits this description. Joseph had to leave then. And so he left his family as soon as it became, with his family as soon as it became dark. When Herod died at verse 19, an angel of the Lord appeared again to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Why go back? If he was safer in Egypt, why did he go back at all? Say it again. Israel was God's people. Now there were, there were Jews in Egypt, but the gospel was to go first to the land of Israel, to the people of God. So Jesus had to fulfill God's assignment for him. The gospel began in Israel. Some men that write about the end times say the gospel will return again to Israel in power and then Christ returns. And so you can see the gospel is moving around the globe. There's power in Africa and in Asia today. But you see, you know, it began in Israel. Years later, it was in Europe. It came to America. We don't see the intensity of the gospel today in our land. It was here in earlier years. We had two great awakenings. Maybe God will send another awakening. Let's pray and ask. But we see the gospel move in power around the globe. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Archelaus was also a very cruel. See, what happened is Herod divided his lands among his three sons. But this one, Archelaus, who was given Judea, Judea was extremely cruel. He was as cruel as, as Herod, his father, was. So they, they were afraid then to go. That They probably were intended to go either back to Bethlehem, perhaps, or to Jerusalem. But when they saw they couldn't stay there, they had to keep going. Then after being warned in a dream, this is the third one, he left for the region of Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Now this is the town they were from. Mary and Joseph were from this town. We see it in chapter one, verses 26, 27, and in chapter two, verse four. Wonder why they didn't want to go back to Nazareth initially. There might have been a human reason. He wanted to obey, but perhaps he didn't want to walk right back into the ridicule that was sure 
to be waiting on them there. But they were sent back right where they started. You ever wondered sometime God sends you back into a difficult situation and you think, why would he do this? Why would he do this to me? It seems that God wants us dependent on only him. Not on the people around us, not on the place we live, only him. And this fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. And being called a Nazarene was, a, was not a good title. It was a despised place. Furthermore, it was more than 100 miles away. And so think about it practically too. Joseph made his living how? Say it again. Not farming. Probably a mason. Yeah, see, y'all been too well taught. What happened to carpenter? What happened to carpenter? But the, the Greek word technon can be translated carpenter or mason or skilled craftsman. Now, it is, it, it's likely he probably did some of both. You say, well, you told us there wasn't much wood. Well, but yokes for oxen, you know, stools to sit on, there were, there were, there was a small amount of wood, so there could be some implements made, but they didn't build houses out of wood. They chiseled them out of stone mountainsides or hillsides. But think about it. He made his living as a craftsman. Some of you are craftsmen or even realtors or whatever you're doing. How easy is it to vacate one town and go somewhere else and start over? With no website. <laughs> With no internet. I mean, don't you think it would have been stressful? Yeah. You know what I mean, you were a builder. Once you established a reputation here, was it smart to just close it up and go to Ohio and see how fast it starts again? Or some other, no. So as a man who was responsible for providing, protecting, he must have felt some anxiety perhaps about being sent here and then sent there and then, so wonder how they lived. I wonder whether they were supported in another way. Any ideas? They were given gold. They were given gold earlier and it may well, this is not written in the scripture other than they received it, but it may well have been the gold the wise men gave that supported them in their travels. You see, God overlooks nothing. God knows every need. He meets every need. Sometimes in very unexpected ways. I might say usually in very unexpected ways. The travel was long, riding a donkey or walking. We don't even know if they had, still had the donkey. But Joseph went without hesitation because he had one overarching calling in his life. What was it? To protect God's son. And that calling overshadowed 
any personal interest, any ambition, any personal desire. He had one calling and one desire to fulfill God's direction. Joseph surrendered his life to support, to provide for, to protect God's son. You know, when we read the scripture, we think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be that family? I don't know that it would have been an enviable position to actually be there. It would be better to have been their friend and watched it happen. Because it meant for this couple, their lives were taken from themselves, totally committed to the service of God. And so Joseph followed God's guidance without argument, without complaint, with no hesitation. Do you think God still speaks through dreams? How many of you do? Let me see some hands. How many of you have had those dreams? Let me see those hands. We have a good many. I've had more than one person tell me that they came to Greenville from some other part of the country because of a dream that one person had another one confirmed in the family. God dreams, God sends dreams. I think God speaks more often through the inspired Bible, through the Holy Spirit within us and through spirit-led believers. And when you have a dream, you should be careful because your interpretation can easily be wrong. So when you have a dream, confirm it in one of these ways through the scripture, through a spirit-led person, through the spirit within. But then obey. And if you know today what God has called you to, an assignment he sent, what are you doing with it? Are you ready to obey the same way Joseph did? Without argument, without complaint, with no hesitation at all. Our care volunteers will be here at the front if you want to pray with someone, talk with someone, be anointed with oil. I urge you to consider someone to bring with you Christmas Eve, but here's, here's my uh, encouragement. Look for someone that God's speaking to. It's a great night of music, a tolerable message, because it's brief and a wonderful candlelight experience. But it's easy to get caught up in the drama of the occasion. More important that someone be spoken to by Christ at that occasion, which means you find someone who's sensitive to the gospel or interested, you bring them with you and then you follow up. You follow up because that's, that's the greatest Christmas gift that we can give to anyone is God's indescribable gift. Father, we do thank you for this word. Help us to be like Joseph, Lord, who desire only to hear from you clearly and we're committed then to follow you immediately with no complaints, with no hesitation at all. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. You can join us on Christmas Eve as we conclude the Christmas Messengers series with a candlelight Christmas Eve service. The services will be at 2, 3.30, and 5. The online campus will meet at 3.30. To prepare, read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Christmas Messenger series. Thanks for listening and have a great Christmas.